0: Our gracious Father, we uh, are. We long this day uh, to hear from you as we look at this part of your word. Uh, please uh, help us to be attentive, uh, help our minds to be alert, uh, help our hearts to be open, ready to receive your word. Uh, give us humility and openness that comes only from your spirit, we pray. I pray that I would speak faithfully and clearly and and that I would make much of the Lord Jesus and uh, nothing of myself. Uh, please, uh, Father, uh, speak to us this day, we pray. Amen. Uh, so we're coming uh, to the. Sorry. I'm used to speaking with the lapel thing, so i just got to get the, this in the best position possible. So we're coming to the end of our, f- our series in Ephesians, and uh, today we're looking at this second part of the passage. We looked at the first part last week. Uh, the whole section is really about spiritual warfare or, or spiritual battle. Uh, if you missed last week's sermon, uh, unfortunately, uh, part of the disadvantage of doing a kind of two-parter type thing is that if you miss last week, then you miss a lot of the background. And so, uh, I'm sorry, but you'll just have to listen to that. Uh, I'm going to make assumptions about what people have heard and that kind of thing. But last week, we looked at verses 10 to 13, and we saw uh, who we fight, right? It's the devil uh, and all his demons. Uh, we saw what we fight. It's the devil's evil schemes. Uh, and we got really just a taste right at the end of how we fight. Uh, and it's that, uh, uh, I guess I, I said last week, uh, that we fight by putting on the armour of God, which really represents uh, the great truths of the gospel. And so it's that last point that we're exploring more today. Uh, how is it that we can stand firm in this battle? How can we stand firm? Uh, so if you've got the passage there, uh, let me draw your attention to the first few words of Verse 14. Right, we're jumping into verse 14. The first few words there, just three words, Paul says, uh, stand firm then. Right, that word then is, is really therefore. Right? So he's carrying on from the last section. He's saying, therefore, stand firm. Right, I want you to notice what he doesn't say here. He doesn't say that there's this spiritual battle going on. Right? There's good and evil for forces, it's cut and thrust, and you have to go out and win the battle. He doesn't say that. Yes, there is a spiritual battle. But the battle's already been won. It's been won by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so all you have to do is stand firm on the ground that the Lord Jesus has won. The command is to stand firm in the Lord Jesus Christ. right? And to understand this, uh, we have to understand true truths that Paul's made really clear earlier in Ephesians. Right? The first truth is that when you become a Christian, uh, spiritually speaking, uh, you're, you're united to Christ so deeply uh, that you are described as being in Christ. Right? By your faith in the Lord Jesus, by the power of his spirit that comes to live in you, uh, you've got this union with Christ. You are in Christ. right? I've described it in this series as a little bit like being a letter uh, that's in an envelope. right? What happens uh, to the envelope happens to the letter. Right? If you are in Christ, by faith, in the power of his spirit, what happens to Christ happens to you. So if Christ died, you died. Right. The, the penalty for all your sins has been paid because you are united with Christ, you see. If Christ was raised, which he was, you were raised. A new power to walk in a new way. We saw that in chapter 5, right? And if Christ was exalted, you will be exalted. Right? you are in Christ what happens to Christ will happen to you. That's the first truth, right The second truth uh, is that Christ reigns supreme over every power, every spiritual power, even evil powers. Right? so if, you, if you've got your Bible there you could flick back to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 21. Ephesians 1 verse 21 Paul says Christ has been, been exalted far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is to be invoked. Christ is supreme over every evil power. That was important for the Ephesians. But if you get a chance, you you should read uh, Acts chapter 19, which tells the story of how these Christians in Ephesus became Christians. Uh, And many of them uh, came from an occult, occult background, Right, they were into sorcery and witchcraft. They were, uh, they were kind of quite adept at invoking lots of names. Right, so it's really important for them to know that Christ is exalted. He has authority over every power. Any evil power, no matter how powerful it might seem, uh, is under the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's call here is that, uh, that all we need to do, all the Ephesians need to do is stand firm in Christ and in his mighty power. We saw that in verses 10 to 13, right? Stand firm in the Lord, Paul says, and in his mighty power. If Christ was exalted, one day you too will be exalted. It's guaranteed. Spiritually speaking, Ephesians chapter 2, you're already exalted. God has raised us up and seated us in the heavenly realms. So there's nothing to fear here, right? We're called to stand firm in Christ and in his mighty power. So the question is, how do we do that? And that's exactly what Paul unpacks. How do we do that? First, by putting on our protective armour. The armour that God has provided for us because we're in Christ. We're clothed in Christ, armoured in him. Uh, Paul says the first part of this armour is the belt of truth. Uh, If you're thinking about a a Roman soldier, which is the picture that Paul has in mind, uh, the language of belt here is probably a bit misleading, right? Because we might think belt, it's like a a flimsy piece of rope that's tied around the waist. But no, no, no. The belt here is really a a kind of leather sheaf uh, that covered your entire torso and went all the way down to your knees, right? It's a kind of full-body garment, and the point is that it really formed the foundation of a Roman soldier's armor. The whole foundation, the rest of the armor, was built on this belt of truth, this sheath of truth, if you like. In the same way, our armor, the armor that God has provided for us in Christ, is built on the foundation of truth. And that makes sense. It makes sense because the devil's the devil works primarily. Right, we said this last week, he works primarily by lying to us. Jesus says in John chapter 8, when the devil lies, he's speaking his native language. The devil is the father of lies. So putting on your belt of truth, this, this foundation of your armour, it's about reminding yourself of the foundational truths of who you are in Christ. That's what it means, to put on this belt of truth. It's, it's preaching the truth of who you are in Christ to yourself. All the other pieces of armour are uh, just build on this foundation. Right? They're really different aspects of who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. First, Paul says, uh, you have to put on, above your uh, leather sheath this belt of truth, uh, put on your breastplate of righteousness. As we work through each, each piece of this protective armour, uh, I'll try to point out how each part protects us from a, a different aspect of how the devil works. Right? The devil's got lots of names in the Bible, and there's a sense in which each part of this armour uh, protects us from a different aspect. Right? The, the picture is that in Christ, you are completely protected from all the devil's works. There's no vulnerabilities in Christ. That's the picture. So here, our breastplate of righteousness protects us from the devil as accuser. The devil is the great accuser. In Zechariah chapter 3, Zechariah has this incredible vision. Zechariah is a prophet in the Old Testament. And Zechariah sees Joshua, the high priest of God's people, standing in the presence of one of God's angels. The angel represents God. Uh, but also standing there in the presence of God is the devil, Satan. He's there to accuse Joshua. Uh, and the truth is that Joshua uh, not only deserved to be accused, uh, but condemned. Because in the vision uh, that Zechariah sees, uh, Joshua standing in the presence of his holy God, uh, wearing these filthy clothes filthy clothes right it represents not just his sin but but the sin of all god's people who joshua represents and so satan points at that and says look at that filth god look how messed up this guy is he doesn't deserve to be in your presence let alone represent you as a priest and joshua's got nothing to say nothing to say right he knows the devil's right In comparison to this holy God, this perfect God, He's filthy. But then an amazing thing happens, right? God's angel says, Take off his filthy clothes. Take them off, because I've got this new set of clothes that I've prepared for him. This new set, it's it's clean, it's pure, it's glorious. So, this amazing scene, the angel takes off Joshua's filthy clothes and clothes him in these glorious clothes. It's an incredible vision. You should read it in Zechariah chapter 3. And that's exactly what happens for you if you become a Christian. It's exactly what happens. All of us stand in the presence of our holy God, and spiritually speaking, in comparison to him, we're filthy. Well, you might look good good compared to someone else, the person next door, the person up the street. But in comparison to God, we're filthy. So the devil is right to accuse us. But if you put your faith in Christ, you can know that on the cross, uh, he was clothed in all your filthy clothes. That's why he died. Every last bit of your filth was on him. So that by faith you can be clothed in his clean and pure and glorious clothes. That's the breastplate of righteousness. It it covers you completely. So the devil can bring no accusation. Romans Romans eight verse one Therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans eight, what, thirty three who can bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who decides who's guilty. No one can accuse you anymore because you are in Christ, clothed in his perfection and righteousness. So when the devil says you're not fit to be in God's presence, you say, yes, in and of myself, I'm a filthy sinner. But in Christ, I'm clean, I'm pure, and I'm completely righteous. That's what it means, to, to put on your breastplate of righteousness. Remind yourself of that truth. A second, we've got to have our feet fitted with the readiness that comes uh, from the gospel of peace. Uh, this actually is a bit of a strange one because Paul doesn't mention a specific part of the armour. He's on about feet. And so I guess we can assume he's talking about boots, right? And of course, wearing boots, uh, we all know if you've done any hiking, uh, wearing boots protects you from serpents, snakes, That's the picture here, I think. These boots of peace protect us from Satan as serpent. Remember, Genesis chapter 3, God says to Eve, this serpent is going to strike the heel of your descendants. So you've got to have your boots on. And your boots represent your readiness to share the gospel of peace. What's this gospel of peace? Well, if you remember back, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul said that at one time all of us were alienated from God, right? But because of our sin, we were enemies of God. And yet in Christ, because Christ died in our place and we put our faith in Him, we can be at peace with God. Right? Christ has has paid the cost of us to for us to be at peace with God. That that's the gospel of peace that Paul's talking about. But here he's saying that it's our readiness to share that news. That protects us. Now, it doesn't really explain how that works. So, this is kind of just my experience, like it's not here directly in the text. But in my experience, it's often when I'm ready to share my faith that I'm reminded that it's true. For example, in this case, I'm reminded that in Christ, I'm at peace with God, right? I'm at peace with, with the creator of the universe. So it's actually okay if when I talk to this someone, when I try to invite them to the carols, right, it's okay if the conversation's a bit awkward. It's okay if they reject me. It's okay if they hate me forever, right, because I'm at peace with God, right? What do I care? right? I'm not saying we don't go out of our way to be jerks, right? But the truth is, I don't have to be at peace with anyone and everyone because I'm at peace with God. Right? And as I share the gospel of peace, I'm reminded of that truth, you see. So that's how we put on the armour, uh, uh, the, these boots of the gospel of peace. It's actually by being willing to share uh, the gospel of peace. Uh, third, Paul says uh, we've got to take up our shield of faith. Uh, once again, the, the shield that Paul's talking about here uh, was really big. Like, not like a little kind of hand thing. Like, it was as, as big as a door. Like, I uh, don't you know if you've seen those battle scenes, right? Like, if, if an individual soldier crouched down behind their shield, uh, they were completely protected, right? And if a whole battalion of soldiers crouched down uh, behind their shields, next, uh, kind of next to one another, uh, they formed a, a shield wall, right? It, it protected them completely. And Paul's saying that's what your faith is like. Right? It not only protects you as an individual, but when it's joined up with the faith of other Christians, it forms a solid wall of protection for the entire Christian community, for the church. Now, let me just find where I'm up to my notes. Right, so... Uh, uh, sorry, I'm getting carried away off my script uh, so, so this is how it works, right? Uh, when uh, Satan comes to us and, and accuses us, uh, when he uh, tempts us uh, with his fiery arrows, uh, we have to take up our shield of faith. Right? The, the, the Satan comes and he says, you can't trust God. Right? You can't trust that, that God uh, wants what's best for you. Right? You can't trust that he's doing what's good for you. Right? Instead of buying into that lie, uh, you take up your shield of faith. You say to him, I believe that God is good, so I don't have to look elsewhere for satisfaction. Faith in God's promise. I believe that God is great, so I don't have to be in control of everything. I believe that God is glorious, so so I don't have to live for the approval of others anymore. I, I believe that God is gracious, so I don't have to prove myself to God or to anyone else. Right, you take up your shield of faith in who God is and his promises. Right? And you do that with other Christians. Right, in Ephesians 4, Paul said God has united us together in Christ and we have to guard that unity. Right? It's really important that Christians stick together. Right? Not in a holy huddle where you never have contact with anyone else, but kind of real, deep, intimate community with other Christians. And then at the end of that chapter, Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Right, deal with your anger, any anger you have, against a brother or sister in Christ quickly, right? as quickly as you can. Why? Because if you don't, you will give the devil a foothold. Right, you see Paul's concern here. The devil it will be looking for the tiniest opportunity uh, to cause anger and division in a church. Because he knows that if he can do that, he'll probably be, probably be able to isolate a Christian and separate them from the shield of protection that the Christian community offers us. So any Christian who says to me, oh, I'm not going to come to church for a while. I'm not going to come to a small group. I'm going it alone. I'm like, well, yeah, you've got your own shield of faith, maybe, if you're using it. But you're incredibly vulnerable, you see. All right, we have to take up our shields of faith together so that, we form, uh, so that we're protected from the flaming arrows of the evil one. Uh, the final piece of our protective armour, it's this helmet of salvation. Uh, the helmet protects us from the devil as deceiver. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verse 8, Paul says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of our salvation as a helmet. So here, I, I think Paul's saying, that In the midst of life, uh, there's suffering, struggles, uh, the devil is literally going to try to crush your head with confusion and doubt about your future, uh, about your destiny. And so you're putting on your helmet of salvation is reminding yourself of your great hope as a Christian. Right? Your great hope is that even though the devil will do everything he can to try and crush you. The Lord Jesus is the great serpent crusher, isn't he? Genesis 3.15, God said that one day a descendant of Eve would come and crush the serpent's head. Now you have your helmet on, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the serpent crusher. He assures you that he's victorious over Satan now and you will be victorious over Satan. That is your future. Don't be confused about that. Don't doubt that in any way. Put on your helmet of salvation which assures you of your future hope. Uh, That's the protective armour. And let me just remind you that this is armour, not that we've kind of made up ourselves through our own good works. It's armour that God's given us because by our faith in Christ, we are in Christ. We're armoured in him, in his works, not in our works. Uh, What about our weapons? Uh, Well, first, verse 17, Paul says we have to take up our sword of the Spirit. Uh, Three three, uh, ideas uh, about this, uh, three, I guess, implications of the fact that we have to take up our sword, which is the word of truth. Uh, This is how we fight the devil off as a liar. Uh, The first implication is that this means that you have to have your sword of God's truth ready to go at all times, especially when life's good. At all times, especially when life is good. But I say that because some of us might actually think when life's really hard and we feel like we're being kind of bombarded from every angle, you might actually in that moment go, oh, I'm under spiritual attack. But the truth is that most of the time in those moments, what do you do? You draw near to God. And that's the last thing the devil wants. Like when you really feel under attack, you often draw near to God. And James tells us that's the last thing, the devil will flee from that. Right, so the devil usually attacks us not when life is good, uh, but when life is really bad. Uh, when uh, sorry, when life is bad, but when life is good, excuse me. Right, he, he comes to us when uh, he, he comes to us when we're on a spiritual high. He comes to us when we're right on the back of, of a mountaintop experience. So you remember in, in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptised. He hears his father from heaven saying, this is my son, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Right, Incredible experience. Then straight away he's in the wilderness for 40 days being tested by Satan. And that's what the devil does. Right? Of course, Jesus was ready for that. Right? Jesus had his sword of the spirit ready to go. You remember, three times he said, it is written. Sword of the Spirit, sword of the Spirit. He's onto it. And my fear is that often we're much more complacent than that. Oh, we're kind of walk around, walking around on the battlefield of life, thinking everything's going so well. Why do I need to put on this armor that God's given me? Why do I need to, to take up my sword of the Spirit? And in doing that, we're incredibly vulnerable. We're exposed because we're not standing firm in Christ and in his mighty power. Second, we've got to take up our sword of the spirit. If we're going to do that, we have to hide God's word in our hearts. John Piper makes the point that you can't draw your sword from someone else's scabbard. Scabbard, that's where people store their swords, right? Like everyone has to have their own sword, that's how the Christian life works. So it's not enough to, to have kind of admire the truth of God's word from a distance, right? as if it's a, a sword on display in a museum. Oh, that's nice. No, no, no. You have to have the truth of God's word in your heart, right? so that everything that you know to be true of you in Christ in your head is trickling down into your heart, right? at the very core of who you are, so you can actually uh, put that, uh, those truths into action in all the circumstances of life. You can apply them. You can, uh, yeah, bring them to bear. For, for example, uh, one example, Luke chapter 8. Uh, Jesus and his disciples, they're in a boat. Uh, you might remember the story. Uh, a storm comes up. The disciples are panicking. Jesus is having a nap. Uh, they wake him up. What are you doing, Lord? Uh, he calms the storm. And then he says, uh, where is your faith? But he's not saying that they, didn't ha- that they don't have faith. He's saying, why didn't you apply your faith in the midst of this storm? He's saying, you know who I am. You know that I'm more than willing, more than able to care for you in the midst of that storm. Where is your faith? And I think we're like the disciples, or at least I am. There are truths that we know to be true in our heads, Uh, but they're not hidden in our hearts. So in the the heat of the battle, uh, we struggle to apply our faith, to, to live out our faith. And I don't think that'll change unless you take concrete steps to hide God's word in your heart, to kind of massage it into your heart every day, to reflect on it, to meditate on it, to chew on it. It just won't go deep enough otherwise. And that leads to the third thing, which is that you have to have, uh, you have to do everything you can uh, to keep your sword sharp and ready to use. Right? You don't have to be uh, the, the sharpest theologian in the world, but you do have to have a few, at least a few core truths, really uh, deeply embedded in your heart. Every Christian needs this. You could start with those four Gs I mentioned earlier in the sermon. I'd be really clear that God is great and good and glorious and gracious. You can read a book about it on the back table. You can change. You might even have a few verses that relate to those truths. So for me, if I'm getting anxious about something, uh, which happens, uh, taking up the sword, uh, my sword of the Spirit means reminding myself of the truth that God is Great. So even if I feel out of control, it's okay. God's got it. And God is good. So it means that I know that my God is going to use all his power for my ultimate good. And the verses I have attached to those truths are in Matthew 6. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus says. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? But look at the flowers, Jesus says. They don't labour or spin, yet I tell you that, that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? So like when the, when the devil comes to me and says, Aaron, uh, look at the chaos of your life. It's pretty messy sometimes. You can't trust that God is great, he says. Look at, look at the suffering in your life. Right? You can't trust that God is good. When the devil says that to me, I do my best to, to take out my sword of the spirit and I say no. I'm not looking. I, I'm looking out my window at these sparrows. I often have sparrows out my window. And I can see that my heavenly father cares for and provides for them. So I know that he will care for and provide for me, his chosen and precious child. right? And while I'm at it, I'm looking at those flowers. And I can see that my Heavenly Father cares for and provides for them. How much more will he care for and provide for me, his chosen and precious child? Right, and while I'm at it, I'm looking at the cross. And I'm reminding myself that my Heavenly Father used all his power to care for my every spiritual need. So how much more in this situation will he care for and provide for me? But that's what it means to, to take up uh, your sword of the spirit, for it to be sharp and ready to use. And often that's not the case for me, right? I mean, I've been able to kind of refine this and work on it during the week, right? But the reality is often my sword's a bit blunt and a bit dusty, right? So if you can relate to that, please come and talk to me, talk to someone else, because we want to be a church where we're all spurring one another on to keep our swords of the Spirit sharp and ready to use. Uh, lastly, uh, our second uh, attacking weapon is prayer. Uh, our translation really obscures this because it has this, uh, that clear break between verse 17 and verse 18, which is really very unhelpful, right? It, it makes you think that Paul's wrapped up his section about spiritual warfare uh, and now he's finishing the letter with a few prayer requests. Oh, that's nice, right? But that's not the case at all. There, there's no break in, in the original language here. Uh, and so everything Paul says about prayer is in the context of standing firm in the battle, right? Standing firm in Christ. And there are two implications of that that i just deal with as briefly as I can. The first is that if you don't feel compelled to pray, it could be because you've either lost sight of this battle or you've disengaged from the battle if you don't feel much need to pray. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul says, it's very possible to be a Christian, to be a soldier of the Lord Jesus, and yet be entangled in civilian affairs. And so that might be you, right? Even though in verse 18, Paul says, "Be alert in this battle, so you always keep praying. Uh, if you're honest, you're probably not that alert. not as alert as a soldier on the battlefield. Are you not alert to the devil's evil schemes or, or to the needs of the, of the Lord's people around the world? or to the places where the good news of the gospel needs to break new ground, where it needs to be proclaimed fearlessly, as Paul says here. And because you're not alert, uh, you don't feel a need to pray. The quickest, uh, quickest uh, cure for prayerlessness I ever had when I was working in university ministry, I was taking students out to do walk-up evangelism. Right, all of a sudden, there's a need to pray, right? I'm out of my comfort zone. Prayerlessness gone, right? Maybe for you it's the carol's postcard. Well, Let me urge you to open your eyes to this battle. More than that, be willing to engage in the battle. Give yourself to the Lord Jesus and his mission in this world, the mission of proclaiming the gospel to the nations so that more and more people can be united under him as Lord. Right? Ephesians 1 verses 9 and 10. Our second thing. Uh, which is that uh, uh, I think this idea uh, that prayer is for the battle uh, might mean that some of us need to change how we think about prayer. Uh, We might need to see our times of prayer as being more like taking up a walkie-talkie, John Piper's illustration, uh, than buzzing the domestic intercom. But right, it's true, like, I don't want to shortchange the fact that the primary category of our relationship with God is that he is our father and we're his children. Right? Jesus teaches us to pray to our father in heaven. Right? But the, the only kind of difference is, is that our father in heaven is also the commanding officer, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, you see. So when you pray to him, you're not just buzzing the domestic intercom, right? Saying that kind of, Dad, can you bring another cushion into the lounge? Because I'm, you know, not not as comfortable. And maybe some nachos while you're at it. Like, that's the nature of our prayers sometimes, isn't it? It's buzzing the domestic intercom. Rather than saying, I'm getting on the walkie-talkie to the one who's my commanding officer, right? The one who has sovereign power. The one, Paul says, who can do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine we well, getting on the walkie-talkie and we're asking him to display his power in helping you to stand firm in Christ, in helping all God's people to put on the armour of God every day all these great truths of the gospel, in taking up their sword of the Spirit at all times and praying in the Spirit on all occasions so that we might stand firm in Christ and in his mighty power uh, to the very end. Let's pray. Our uh, Father, we uh, thank you for Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and we thank you for all that it teaches us uh, about who we are in Christ, both as individuals and as your people, and we thank you for this passage uh, this day uh, that reminds us to stand firm in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, armoured in his great work. Uh, We pray that each day we would be uh, reminding ourselves of these great truths, putting on our armour and taking up our sword of the spirit as we fight off any lies that uh, the devil might whisper to us. Uh, Please, Father, do this great work uh, for your glory. Amen.